Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Good news. Good morning. Man, I am so excited to be here with you today to open God's Word. Um, it was really cool to be here on Thursday night. Nice, small, and intimate group. And now we got these awesome singers and musicians with us here this morning. Can you put your hands together and praise God for them? They help usher us into the presence of God. Hey, look, I'm not going to be long at all. I'm going to get right to it. Uh, so if, with that being said, join me in the book of Luke 10. We're going to start at verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke 10 and 38. I'll read it for you. It says, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. There's an exclamation point in my translation. She's shouting at the Lord. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I want to speak to our hearts just for a few moments from the thought from busy to blessed. But before I do, let's pray. Father in heaven, the grass withers and the flowers do indeed fade, but the word of the Lord shall stand. God, I pray right now in this holy preaching moment that you would lift every burden, loose every single chain, bind every evil spirit and destroy every yoke. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Would you get glory in this place? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, I like watching the NBA playoffs because there seems to be more that's on the line this time of year, right? 
you know, NBA players play about 82 games a year. And so uh, games one through 20, if they're not actually putting in all of the effort, who can really blame them? They're worried about injuries. They're worried about fatigue. But at the NBA playoffs, everybody is letting it all hang out. And one of the things that makes the NBA playoffs just a little bit more exciting, puts a little more drama in it is something called a technical foul. And whenever a technical foul gets called, uh, people who are in the kitchen fixing that second plate will stick their head in the den because people want to know, why did he get a tech? But there's one thing that I have found that is consistent with technical fouls. You normally don't get called for a tech without being a jerk. Now, which basketball player do you think of and why is it Draymond Green? You normally don't get called for a technical foul without being a jerk. And then if that wasn't enough, there's something above a tech that's more serious called a flagrant foul. And a flagrant foul is committed by those who are frustrated a lot of times with the way the game is going. And a flagrant foul is committed by someone who has convinced themselves that I will risk getting ejected from the game if that's what it's going to take to get my point across. Don't you see how they're treating me? Don't you see what they're doing to me? Don't you see how they keep elbowing me or, 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 or hitting me? And so a flagrant foul is, is committed by someone who is willing to be ejected from the game in order to get their point across. But there's one thing that the NBA playoffs have in common with church. There's thousands of people watching. They're eating, they're cheering, and they're being fed while a small group of people in the game do all the work. But that doesn't give us an excuse to be a jerk. That doesn't give those of us who feel like we're burdened with ministry an excuse to be rude or an excuse uh, to be mean to our brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, because Jesus teaches in this passage of Scripture that there is actually something more important than preaching a sermon. There's something more important than playing the guitar. There's something more important than working in children's ministry. There's something more important than leading praise and worship. There's something more important work than working in the parking lot ministry. There's something more important than leading a small group. There's something more important than working on the sound team. He says, actually, only one thing is really needful, and that is this, sitting, to, sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see, when we prioritize serving over sitting, it can do something in the heart that is just not good. You see, Jesus comes to this village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. And I can only imagine uh, the excitement and even probably a bit of anxiety of having Jesus as a dinner guest. Now, you may have had somebody important at your house for dinner, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say you haven't had Jesus himself over for dinner. I can only imagine the, the anxiety and the stress of, of having the Lord himself as a dinner guest. And also, this is a high hospitality culture where you want to give your very best to your guests. And out of all of the houses, 
Jesus could have chose. He chose hers. Out of all the women that could be preparing him a meal, it was her. So while Martha is feverishly uh, working in the kitchen, her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And this is this caused something I like to call intense fellowship. <laughs> An argument began. So much so that Jesus asked, uh, uh, Martha asked Jesus if he even cared that Mary wasn't helping her. And Jesus said this reply, Martha, Martha, few things are needful. Indeed, one, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is so relevant for us today as though it was written today. Martha is actually busy with ministry serving the Lord Jesus. And even though most of us may not know what it's like to be that busy with ministry, you do know what it's like to be busy with your career. You know what it's like to be a busy parent. There's no days off from being a mom or dad. Even if you have a 40-year-old, there's still no days off from being a mom or dad. You know what it's like to be busy with family relationships or if you're anywhere near my age, many of us are beginning to care for our parents when our parents were caring for us. You know what it's like to be busy. Everything around us demands that we be on a grind 24-7. For many people alive today, younger and old, one of those demands is something called student loans, $1.6 trillion in climbing. Property taxes are going up. Car registration and city stickers are going up. Home insurance is going up. The cost of health care is going up. The cost of tuition is going up. We are the busiest generation that has ever lived. And many of us, if we're honest, we feel like we don't have a choice but to be busy or else we'll get left behind. But I come to tell you this morning that grinding is really overrated. Because grinding is confined to how much time we have. And there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much time that's available. And I'm, I'm sad to say that Gary Vee has probably discipling more people in this area than the local small group. But here's why you don't have to fret over time. Time did not always exist. It was created by God to serve the purposes of God. Now, let me, let me press rewind and play that again for you. Time did not always exist. It was created by God to serve the purposes of God. In Genesis 1 and 14, we see God created the light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. Time serves the purposes of God. He never created us to be human doings. He created us to be human beings in relationship with him. So when you're in Christ, you don't have to serve time. Time will start serving the purposes of God for you. Can you say amen? So Jesus lets Martha know that what matters is actually what Mary is pursuing. Worshiping at the feet of Jesus and hearing his word. 
Because this is not a blessing that limits our time. I got to throw my anchor overboard right there. Because we're often told, oh, you need to read your Bible every day. Or you need to be praying every single day. You need to come to church every Sunday. You need to be faithful to your small group and attend every single week or whatever the rhythm is. And sometimes when we are exhorted with spiritual disciplines, we feel like this is taking time away from us. But what God is teaching in this passage is, no, this is actually going to help serve the purposes of God for you in your life. God is not trying to take something from you. He's trying to get something to you because he said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. There's an evangelist that used to say these words, and I remind myself of them all the time. He said, more work can be done in prayer than done in work. Did you hear that this morning? He said, more work can be done in prayer than done in work. Here's what he means by this, is that if I look at my life, and if everything that I have is a result of my intellect and my talents and my gifts and my investments and my connection and my career, then I don't really have much. But when I look around my life and I can point, God did that, I couldn't do that. God did that, I couldn't do that. God did that, I couldn't do that. See, see, it, when we conserve and hoard the time and, 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 and take it away from spending with God, then what we get is our own results. You see, this is a blessing that doesn't limit our time. It makes our time much more fruitful. Look with me at Luke chapter 8, verse 15. He says, but the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and watch this, by persevering produce a crop. By persevering produce a crop. How do we produce a crop? How do we produce fruitfulness in our lives? How do we get what is not a result of our own efforts? My brothers and my sisters, we have to persevere. You see, a return on investment only comes to those who are persistent. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You've got to be persistent. You've got to persevere. And in due season, you will reap your just reward. See, some of us are ready to walk away from the Lord if he doesn't answer in 12 days. For some of us, that's six days. I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've heard somebody say, man, I tried it and it didn't work. Uh, how long did you try it? This entire week. Come on, man. Help me out here. He says, by persevering, we will produce fruit. And part of why this is so hard, if I can just be frank with you, if I can take my time and hurry up here, you'll get it on the way home. Uh, there's a book called Why Johnny Can't Preach, and the subtitle is The Media Have Shaped the Ministers. It's required reading at almost every seminary. And, and there is too much what I call cotton candy theology that is pervasive in the church of God today. It tastes good, it's sweet, but it has no spiritual value. And so uh, uh, we listen to sermons and we listen to the word of God looking for the us in it rather than looking for the God in it. 
And there's an entire generation of preachers that have been very successful in convincing you that the Bible is really about you. When the Bible is God's story and we thank God by grace, he invites us into his story. Can you say amen? See, everything that we sacrifice for God, we will never lose. It's a seed that is put in the ground and it dies, but it's coming back up again. Mark 1, 28 through uh, 31 says, uh, Jesus says, mark my words. No one who sacrifices house, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, land. Then he just gives us a blank check. Whatever. Because of me and the message, he's talking about the gospel, will lose out. They'll get it back, but multiplied many times in homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and land. But also in troubles. He's saying, don't, don't think it weird or don't think it uh, uncommon when we fall into various troubles. He says, and then the bonus of eternal life, the cherry on top. This is once again the great reversal. Many who are first will end up last. And the last first, we do not lose when we're in Christ. So briefly, I want to just examine some of these, these personalities in this passage. Let's first look at Martha. Uh, if you don't like working while other people are sitting around, just wave your hand at me. Uh-huh. Okay. Like 10 people tell the truth in church. The rest of y'all are lying. Amen. Uh, 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 no one likes to work while other people sit down and watch them work. Nobody likes that. Most of us probably have more in common with Martha than we do Mary and Jesus. Let's be honest. So, so let's be careful not to villainize Martha because we may have responded the same way that she did. Mary may indeed see this as a once-in-a-lifetime situation, but so does Martha. They live in a shame and honor culture where uh, there's a high level of hospitality. And Martha is probably thinking if there was ever a time to do things right, it's when Jesus is here. If there was ever a time for the worship team to rehearse, it's when Jesus, if there was ever a time for the sound man to get all of that feedback out of this mic, it's when Jesus, if there was ever a time for the preacher to learn the word of God and how to communicate it. Well, why would the preacher be preaching if Jesus is here? But that's another sermon. It's when Jesus is here. See, some of you today, if you're honest, you've got so much drive and intensity, you have walked away from friends that couldn't match your drive. You're doing your career and you're raising your family and you're an entrepreneur or, or whatever it is you're pursuing in life. And you had lazy people around you and you just said, listen, we ain't got a lot in common. So you don't even take their calls anymore. Some of you know what it's like to cut people off because they simply wasted your time. Martha is so upset that she decides to snitch. <laughs> but here's the problem. Watch this. She's being generous to Jesus with what she thinks he needs. Did you get that? 
Have you ever known someone who wanted to be kind to you, but only the way that they wanted to be kind to you? They really can't bake that well, but they keep making you bake goods. And you're like, you really don't have to do this. Thank you. But they just have a passion for baking. It's not really about serving you. They're just looking for someone to, to, to unload their baked goods off on. If they're in here, just look straight ahead. Won't nobody know but me and you. Don't point at them, okay? It wouldn't be nice. If you were to give me a jacket, you couldn't make me like the jacket. I might give it away if I didn't like the jacket. You see, but when God commands us to love, he's not commanding emotion. He's commanding behavior. He's saying, this is a verb, love one another. Show acts of love to one another. Speak to one another with love. Hug each other. Uh, uh, serve each other with love and not out of place of an unbalanced heart. Have you ever known someone who only wanted to be kind to you the way that they wanted to? You see, here's the thing. We don't get to tell Jesus what we'll do for him, he gets to tell us. And Martha receives Jesus into her home, and then she neglected him by preparing him an elaborate meal that he did not need. Because this is the time before Jesus would soon be offered up. As a spotless and blameless lamb, the sin, uh, the propitiation for our sins. And you know what? Have you ever been in trouble? Have you ever been stressed? Do you see him in the Garden of Gethsemane later when droplets of blood and sweat begin to pour out? You don't want a heavy meal. You probably couldn't eat it if you wanted to. You don't, you're not looking to be pampered. You're looking for presents. But Martha says, no, this is the time to roll out the red carpet for Jesus. And he's about to be ascended unto glory where, trust me, any rare carpet we got here can't compare to heaven. You see, it wouldn't be long for Jesus to be offered up. And what he's saying is what feeds the soul is more important than what feeds the body. I wonder what this could teach you and I about being present with those who are in trouble. Well, how about Mary? Mary is seen three times in the gospel, and every time she is at the feet of Jesus. And this time, the spot that would be normally occupied by disciples, the spot that would be normally occupied by men, is available. You see, it's easy to see Martha's desperation because we've all been there working hard while other people around you are hardly working. But Mary is also desperate because she doesn't know when I'll get this chance again. This spot at his feet isn't normally vacant. See, you and I, I are no different from Mary. We're here today, but we don't know when we'll get this chance to ever hear the word of God again. So we have to respond today like we'll never get the chance again. Mary saw her chance, and she took it. And the Bible says, in all you're getting, get understanding. Listen, I pray that your entrepreneurship goes amazing and you get all that you're out to get. I pray that your pursuit of love uh, it is not unrequited. And I pray that, that everything that you pursue, you experience a hundredfold. But in all you're getting, I pray that you get an understanding of who Jesus is. And the only way we can get that understanding is to sit at his feet. 
John 6 and 27 reads like this. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Very briefly, I want to share with you three ways that we encounter Jesus in this passage. And then we'll pray. First, Jesus calms hearts. Jesus calms hearts. The first thing we see is that Jesus calms. And when we study the Bible, every single time there's repetition, we need to pay attention, okay? So when he says, Martha, Martha, many scholars believe that this is actually a calming device, like uh, some people today would say, there, there. Uh, sometimes we just need to be grateful for a God that will repeat our name. Oh, hallelujah. Some of you, it takes your name to be called 10 times before you calm down. I'm not meddling. I'm just preaching. Some of us have to be called a lot more than twice before we calm down. I'm so thankful for a God who will call and repeat my name. I pray that each of you experience the peace and calm of God today because God has to often calm us down before he can call us up. Did you hear what I just said? Uh, uh, yes, you've been told, oh, you're supposed to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, and, and God is going to use you powerfully, and you're going to do all these things for the kingdom, and all of that's great, but God has to calm us down before he can call us up. You see, if we don't understand the love of God, we can't do the work of God. And the last thing the kingdom needs is more angry ministry workers. Can we say amen? See, sometimes we just need to be grateful for a God that will repeat our name. And he has to often cast out fear before he can build our faith. Next thing we see is that Jesus redirects desires. He tells her that few things are needful, indeed only one. And this is the hard part about following God. I don't know about you. This is the hardest part about my relationship with God is allowing him to redirect my desires because Ricky knows what he wants and he wants to do what he wants to do. Oh, don't look at me with that tone of voice. You got some wants too. Amen. Amen. I, I, I'm not a person that's just sitting on a log not knowing what I want. I know what I want, but is that what God wants for my life? Do you know that even a newborn baby, that baby understands that if I keep yelling, this person's going to give me whatever I want. They're going to do whatever. They're going to move heaven and earth to get me to stop yelling. And when they get two, guess what? It gets worse. A two-year-old is the most self-centered, selfish human being on the face of the planet. They understand all they got to do is look at you with those eyes and maybe start yelling. And, and they don't care that you got to preach in the morning. They don't care that you need to sleep. No, they're self-centered. We are born into sin, shaped in iniquity. We get here selfish, thinking about ourselves. It's not easy, but that's why you've got to persevere. As you walk with him, he'll begin to work in your heart. And then you begin to see that everything that I wanted will one day pass away. But what God is trying to give me is that which is eternal, which can never be taken away. 
I'll never forget this one time I got on this health kick and I got a bright idea that I was going to completely cut out sugar uh, for an entire month. Not, not reduce it, like cut it out. But if you live in America, that's almost impossible because if you have some ketchup, you've had some sugar. It's the first ingredient in everything. And I went almost the entire month without sugar. And at the end of that month, I said, okay, I'll have a treat. And I saw my kryptonite, a shiny orange soda, a sun-kissed soda. And I popped it. And I drank one gulp. And I almost went into cardiac arrest. <laughs> my whole body went into convulsions. It was like I drank some poison. I, I just, I couldn't take it. My palate had changed. I was able to redirect my desires. But redirecting your desires in the realm of the spirit isn't going to be done by your will. It's going to be done by persevering and sitting at the feet of Jesus. See, Mary is getting a deposit at the feet of Jesus that will be pulled down for the rest of her life. The food that Martha enjoyed was only for a moment, but the words that Jesus gives will never pass away. So instead of prioritizing the grind, instead of making primary the hustle, God wants to give us something far greater that will last forever. I want to I leave you uh, with this story. As musicians, you guys can just begin to play. Um, less than 1% of commercial pilots are African-American. And I'm lucky enough to be one of them. I should say blessed. Luck really ain't got nothing to do with it because God is faithful. And I'll never forget when I had my commercial check ride. This check ride is just you sit in a room with the FAA representative and they ask you questions for like an hour and a half. And if you don't goof, then you get to make it to the airplane. Hop in the airplane, go do a bunch of maneuvers and stuff like that, put you through the ringer. And if you do all of that successfully, you only get one shot at each one. You can't say, oh, let me do that again. You only get one shot. And um, I had done the entire check ride correctly. I knew that because if you, if you goof, he has to tell you, hey, or she has to tell you, hey, look, that was unsatisfactory. So they hadn't said that the entire time. And all I got to do is stick the landing, right? And, and I'm home free. It's like, man, this is it. And I'm going to tell y'all, this landing was so beautiful. It was like butter. You could tell, like, if you were outside, you could tell, like, a brother had landed the plane because it was like, uh, I mean, it was, it, it was dope. It was a good landing. And, and, and I'll be honest with y'all, I wasn't being really humble. I was like, boy, you landed that plane, dog. That was dope. I mean, it was nice. And so I was like, okay, I'm home free. All I got to do is, like, not hit a taxi sign or something. And, and, and we taxi back up to the school. And I went through the checklist, and I shut the engine down, and I was like, I did it. I'm pretty sure I did it. And he looked at me with this little, really stern look, and he reached his hand out, and he said, congratulations. And I took his hand, and I shook his hand. Then the next thing that happened, I wasn't really prepared for it, even though I actually knew it was going to happen. See, for 20 years, I had a private pilot certificate, which just allows you to just basically fly and don't kill yourself or anybody else. Uh, but this was a commercial license which says, we're going to trust you to actually carry passengers for hire. And he looked at me and he said, give me your license. My heart dropped. 
because this was a person in a position of authority with the FAA, and I had never had someone like that tell me to hand over my license. This is all I've known for 20 years. This is all I've had for 20 years. How can you ask me to just turn this over? And, and I'm telling you, I got alligator arms all of a sudden. I was like trying to reach in and I, 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 I begrudgingly like handed him my license. And you know what he did? He took out a hole puncher and he punched a hole through my private pilot certificate. And he said these words to me. He said, this is nothing more than a souvenir now. And then he took his other hand and he issued me a commercial license. All I came here to tell you today is that over 2,000 years ago, Jesus and all his divinity reached across the cockpit of humanity and said, congratulations, if you give me your life, I'll give you a new one. I know it's all you've ever known, but if you, if you give me your sorrows, you can trade them for joy. I, I know that's all you've ever known, but if you give me your mourning, I'll turn it into dancing. I know that it's all you've ever known, but if you give me your grind and your hustle and your anxiety, I will make time serve the purposes of God for you. And you can go from busy to blessed. Bow your heads. Father, in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that someone here today is willing to make that trade. I know, I know, I know it's all they've ever known. They, they've been in the driver's seat. They've been in control. And relinquishing control is scary. But, Father, we're not relinquishing control to someone who doesn't know what they're doing. We're relinquishing control to the very creator, the maker of heaven and earth, and our creator, the ones who fashioned and formed us, the one who knew us in the womb, the one who ordained us a prophet to the nations, the one who has numbered our days, the one who can number the hairs on our head, dear God, the, the one who has ordered our steps, dear Lord. So, Father, we release and relinquish control to you today. And we say, would you be Lord over our life all the days of our life? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.